0: Letter nine of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft, read for into the public domain. Letter to I.P.D., London, January 2nd, 1847. My dear Uncle, I refer you to my letters to my boys for all the new persons and places we may have lately seen. While I give you, for Auntie's amusement, a minute account of my visit into the country at Mister Bates's where things are managed in a scrupulously English manner, so that it will give her the same idea of country life here as if it were a nobleman's castle. Our invitation was to arrive on Thursday, the day before Christmas, to dine and to remain until the following Tuesday morning. His place is at East Sheen, which receives its name from the Anglo-Saxon word for beauty. It adjoins Richmond Park, beyond which is the celebrated Richmond Hill, Twickenham, Kew, etc., etc., We arrived at East Sheen at half-past five, but I ought first to mention the preparations for a country excursion. Our own carriage has, of course, no dicky for my maid, or conveniences for luggage, so we take a travelling carriage. The Imperials, which are large, flat boxes covering the whole top of the carriage, capital for velvet dresses, and smaller ones fitting into all the seats in the carriage, and before and behind, are brought to you the day before i am merely asked what dresses i wish taken and that is all i know of the matter so thoroughly does an english maid understand her business we were shown on our arrival into a charming room semi-library in a few minutes a servant came to show me to my apartment which was very superb with a comfortable dressing-room and fire for mr bancroft where the faithful keats unpacked his dressing materials while i was in a few moments seated at the toilette to undergo my hair-dressing "'surrounded by all my apparatus, and a blazing fire to welcome me with a hissing tea-kettle of hot water, and every comfort. "'How well the English understand it I learn more and more every day. "'My maid had a large room above me, also with a fire. "'Indeed, a lady's maid is a very great character indeed, and would be much more unwilling to take her tea with, "'or speak familiarly to, a footman or a housemaid, than I should.' My greatest mistakes in England have been committed towards those high dignitaries, my own maid and the butler, whose grandeur I entirely misappreciated and invaded, as in my ignorance I placed them, as we do on the same level with other servants. She has her fire made for her, and loaf-sugar in her tea, which she and Kate sip in solitary majesty. However, she is most conscientious and worthy, as well as dignified, and thoroughly accomplished in her business. As all these things are pictures of English life, I mention them to amuse auntie, who likes to know how these matters are managed. After I am dressed, I join the circle in the library, where I am introduced to Mr. and Madame van de and Louis Bonaparte, the son of Louis, the ex-king of Holland, and of Hortense, Josephine's daughter. He was a long time imprisoned in the fortress of Ham, and has not long been free. There was also Napoleon, son of Jerome Bonaparte, and the princess of Württemberg. They were most agreeable, intelligent, and amiable young men, and I was glad to meet them. Lord and Lady Langdale, who have a place in the neighborhood, were invited to dine with us. He is master of the rolls, and was elevated to the peerage from great distinction at the bar. Lady Langdale is a sensible and excellent person. At dinner I sat between Mr. Bates and Lord Langdale, whom I liked very much. The next morning we assembled at ten for breakfast, which was at a round table, with a sort of circular tray, which turns at the least touch in the centre, leaving only a rim round the table for plates and cups. This was covered also with a white cloth, and on it were placed all the breakfast viand, with butter, sugar, cream, bread, toast-rack, and preserves. You need no servants, but turn it around and help yourself. I believe the Vanderwaers introduced it from a visit in Wales." Tea and coffee are served from a side-table always here. Let me tell Auntie that our simple breakfast-dress is unknown in England. You come down in the morning, dressed for the day, until six or seven in the evening, when your dress is low-neck and short-sleeves for dinner. At this season the morning dress is a rich silk or velvet, high body, quite close in the throat, with handsome collar and cuffs, and always a cap. Madame van der Veer wore every day a different dress, all very rich, but I adhered to a black-watered silk with the same simple cap I wore at home. I took a drive through Richmond Park, where Henry VIII watched to see a signal on the tower, when Anne Boleyn's head fell, and galloped off to marry Jane Seymour, to Richmond Terrace, which is ravishingly beautiful even at this season. The next day the gentlemen all went to town, and Madame Vanderweer and I passed the day tete-a-tete, very pleasantly, as her experience in diplomatic life is very useful to me." her manners are very pleasing and entirely unaffected she has great tact and quickness of perception great intelligence and amiability and is altogether extremely well fitted for the role she plays in life her husband is charming they have three children very lovely the eldest victor a fine boy of seven years old victoria a girl of four for whom the queen was sponsor and albert to whom prince albert performed the same office this was of course voluntary in the royal parties as it was not a favour to be asked madame Vanderweer is not spoiled certainly by the prominent part she was called to play in this great centre of the world at so early an age and makes an excellent courtier i could not help pitying her however for looking forward to going through year after year the same round of ceremonies forms and societies for us it is a new study and invaluable for a short time but I could not bear it for life, as these European diplomatists. Besides, we Americans really enjoy a kind of society, and a much nearer intercourse than other foreigners, in the literary, scientific, and even social circles. On Saturday evening Lord William Fitzroy and daughter joined our party with Sir William Hooker and Lady Hooker. Sir William Hooker is one of the most interesting persons I have seen in England. He is a great naturalist, and has the charge of the great botanical gardens at Kew. He devoted a morning to us there, and it was the most delightful one I have passed. There are twenty-eight different conservatories filled with vegetable wonders of the whole world. Length of time and regal wealth have conspired to make the Kew Gardens beyond our conceptions entirely. Sir William pointed out to us all that was very rare or curious, which added much to my pleasure. He showed us a drawing of the largest flower ever known on earth, which Sir Stamfield Raffles discovered in Sumatra. It was a parasite, without leaves or stem, and the flower weighed fifteen pounds. Lady Raffles furnished him the materials for the drawing. I dined in company with her not long ago, and regret now that I did not make her tell me about the wonders of that region. At the same dinner you may meet so many people, each having their peculiar gift, that one cannot avail oneself of the opportunity of extracting from each what is precious." I always wish I could sit by everybody at the same time, and I could often employ a dozen heads, if I had them, instead of my poor, miserable one. From Sir William Hooker I learned as much about the vegetable world as Mr. Bancroft did from the Dean of Eli on architecture when he expounded to him the Cathedral of Eli, pointing out the successive styles of the Gothic and the different periods in which the different parts were built. Books are dull teachers compared with these gifted men giving you a lecture upon subjects before your eyes. On Sunday we dined with our own party, on Monday some diplomatic people, the Lisboas and one of Mr. Bates's partners, and on Tuesday we came home. I must not omit a visit, while we were there, from Mr. Taylor, Van Artveld, who is son-in-law of Lord Monteagle, and lives in the neighborhood." He has a very fine countenance and still finer voice, and is altogether one of those literary persons who do not disappoint you, but whose whole being is equal to their works. I hope to see more of him, as they spoke of cultivating us, and Mr. Taylor was quite a prodigy of our kind and dear friend, Dr. Holland, and dedicated his last poem to him. This expression, I shall cultivate you, we hear constantly, and it strikes me as oddly as our Western being raised. Indeed, I hear improper Anglicisms constantly, and they have nearly as many as we have. The upper classes here, however, do speak English so roundly and fully, giving every letter its due, that it pleases my ear amazingly. On Wednesday I go for the first time to Westminster Abbey, on Epiphany, to hear the Athanasian Creed chanted. I have as yet had no time for sight-seeing, as the days are so short that necessary visits take all my time. No one goes out in a carriage till after two, as the servants dine at one, and in the morning early the footman is employed in the house. A coachman never leaves his box here, and a footman is indispensable on all occasions. No visit can be paid till three, and this gives me very little time in these short days. Everything here is inflexible as the laws of the Medes and Persians, and, though I am called mistress, even by old Cates, with his gray hair and black coat, I cannot make one of them do anything except by the person and at the time which English custom prescribes. They are brought up to fill certain situations, and fill them perfectly, but cannot or will not vary. I am frequently asked by the ladies here if I have formed a household to please me, and I am obliged to confess that I have a very nice household, but that I am the only refractory member of it. I am always asking the wrong person for coals, etc., etc., The division of labor, or rather ceremonies, between the butler and footman, I have now mastered, I believe, in some degree, but that between the upper and under housemaid is still a profound mystery to me, though the upper has explained to me for the twentieth time that she did only the top of the work. My cook comes up to me every morning for orders, and always drops the deepest curtsy, but then I doubt if her hands are ever profaned by touching a poker, and she never washes a dish." She is cook and housekeeper, and presides over the housekeeper's room, which has a Brussels carpet and centre-table, with one side entirely occupied by the linen presses, of which my maid, my vice-regent, only much greater than me, keeps the key and dispenses every towel, even for the kitchen. She keeps lists of everything, and would feel bound to replace anything missing. I shall make you laugh in Mrs. Goodwin's stare by some of my housekeeping stories the next evening I passed in your little pleasant parlour. A word unknown here, end of letter nine, read by Sibella Denton. all Librivox recordings are in the public domain For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. dot org